Hello and welcome to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Wednesday, December 20th, and on today's pod, we are going to talk about the 10-game NBA slate that we have for tonight's action. We are going to review the best bets on the board. We are going to go through some line movement indicators and where we expect these spots to land. We're going to review some key injury news to look out for. We're even going to go over some early sharp spots developing in the market. But before we take back, peel back the curtain, explain some of these handicapping processes and gambling strategies, I think we just got to talk about John Morant real quick. I mean, did he not show up and remind everybody who the fuck John Morant is? Call 12, baby. Memphis Grizzlies first quarters all day, baby. You guys want to know why I'd be slamming those Memphis Grizzlies first quarters? People talk about Golden State Warriors third quarters as a betting trend. And I say, I see your Golden State Warriors third quarter betting trend. Let me raise you and introduce you to Memphis Grizzlies first quarters. Anytime they're a dog, I'm betting it. Uh, Pretty much anytime they're going to be at home, I'm going to bet it. You could also go towards a little bit of a Grizzlies over or first quarters overs with the way that they play. But the reason why we see it shaping out and the reason why I think this is a trend that you could consistently back and almost play blindly at this point is for two reasons. It is coaching strategy and it is rotational minutes. A lot of people are looking at me like, Mike, you obviously backed Memphis Grizzlies first quarter as soon as John Morant came back because you think John Morant's going to have a big impact. Yes and no. It's more Taylor Jenkins' whole system and strategy is to blitz their opponent from the start, to play with a lead. He plays his starters nearly the entire first quarter, generally, when we get to normal substitution patterns. Once Smart comes back for his injury, Kennard comes back from his injury, and Ja ramps up to full speed, and we get this team going, they are going to be playing their top five guys against a second unit for three or four minutes during the first quarter. It is unfair, and they take on the strategy of we need to blitz our opponent and play with a lead. That is the Taylor Jenkins philosophy. It's not totally a John Moran thing, but the man just got his motherfucking engine back. Like, what do you expect? The car's about to go vroom, vroom, vroom. I'm so excited. I love watching John Morant play. If you're a John Morant hater or you encounter a John Morant hater, that person doesn't actually watch basketball because anyone who watches that dude play, he is electric. He is so fun to watch. And anyone who watches him play, you can't not root for him to have an amazing success story. So, I mean, I'm about to order myself a little Grizzlies jersey, a little, I want one of those Memphis basketball long sleeve. Uh, like dry fit shirts. You're going to see a pod in a few weeks with me rocking that after the holidays. I am in. I am back in on the Grizz kids. A lot of talk about Dylan Brooks leaving and the Grizzlies losing their swagger. Um, No, that wasn't it. Call 12, baby. Call 12. Okay, let's get this show started. Talk about tomorrow's action. I've been hot as fuck, so I just needed to, you could see the energy flowing between my veins. It is normally kind of a bitch to record a podcast after a big losing day, but when you come in five days in a row, cleaning up plus damn near 20 units, you get hyped to record a podcast. 
Another four-minute intro. I've been doing this way too much lately. Let's get this thing started. I'm the type to get shit done. You the type to observe. March Madness on my speakers, but today's November 23rd. Cause I'm loud in the blunt, yeah. I don't say what I want, yeah. Probably someone sunny in ten. Foreign women in the sun, yeah. That's all that I need. That's all that I need. That's all that I need. Come my brothers with me. Come my brothers with me and my mama's healthy. That's all that I need. My intro is an absolute bop. All right, before we actually get started, let me remind everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to whatever podcast platform you are listening to, to follow me on x.com at fiddlespicks, and most importantly, to sign up for my Substack, the fiddlespicks.substack.com. That is my free, completely free gambling newsletter. That is where I primarily send out all of my picks, also include podcast links, DFS contest, some free weekly giveaways every now and then. That is the best place to be, fiddlespicks.substack.com. Of course, this podcast is brought to you guys by Fantasy Basketball International and Fantrax. If you're in the fantasy sports space, you play fantasy basketball, you definitely want to join FBI's community, the Discord channel, check out their website. And if you need a fantasy server, check out Fantrax. Okay, I am going to share the screen. I don't know where you're listening to this. But my suggestion would be to watch the show on the Fantasy Basketball International YouTube channel because I could do this thing and pull up the live odds board and go through all the things that I wanted to talk about for this game. I'm going to pretty much break it down in the order of this FanDuel odds screen. I think FanDuel has the best user interface. I think it allows me to highlight all the right spots. There are some spots where I got a different line than what's being presented, and I will point that out but uh i think this makes it the most clear and easy to go through and learn so let's talk about these games let's start with the utah jazz at the cleveland cavaliers we know little Lori Markin revenge game little donovan mitchell revenge game i mean they've played each other last season since the trades but we could play into that a little bit we are seeing because of the injury news to garland to mobley to some that is more detrimental to the Cavs stars we are seeing some line movement towards the Jazz side. Now, it seems to primarily be injury-related news breaks. I'm pulling up the betting splits. We're seeing 65% of the bets on Cleveland and 74% of the money, despite the line going from 7.5 to 6.5. I think we are going to see some of the Utah Jazz play, some of their you know main players that have been missing games or in and out of the lineup, and the Cavaliers are going to be down a few key guys. So we got that movement through the 7 which if you want to be a jazz backer in what's seemingly a reverse line movement because the line is moving opposite of the way that the money's coming in, I'm sorry to say, but there's a lot of value that's just lost by moving through the 7. The 7.5 versus the 6.5 is one of the most important one point of movement line changes in the NBA because the 7 is the most common outcome in NBA basketball. So if you're moving through that number, Although it's one point of movement, it is the most significant point of movement you could get on the board. It matters a lot more than moving between, you know, a pick'em and a, and a one, because a one is not that common of an outcome, and a pick'em puts you in a a zero zero spread, which you can't even push on because an NBA kid has no tie. So moving between six point five and seven point five, kind of a big deal and something that should raise our eyebrows. That the Jazz would be the right side to be on from the spread. 
But my best bet was actually on the under in this game. I lit it up on the board. I had the under 229 and a half that was at DraftKings for way too long when the rest of the board was at 227 and a half. Now, if DraftKings is at 229 and a half and FanDuel's at 227 and a half, let's contextualize what's going to happen with early action in this market. Anyone who wants to bet an under, like me, went to DraftKings and played the under 229.5. Anyone who wanted an over went to FanDuel and played the over 227 and a half. Now we get a point in the market where FanDuel's handle is much more tilted to the over and they want under money to start coming in. And we get DraftKings handle much more tilted towards the under and they want over money coming in. So they want to balance out their exposure. So they pretty much have 50-50 on both sides of the line so that they can have the losers pay the winners and take the winning 10% house tax. That's why you bet 110 to win 100. It's a little 10% winning tax. And now we've seen the board flip where now Cavs Jazz at FanDuel is the higher number at 228. And DraftKings finds itself at 227 and a half. So this makes perfect sense. FanDuel wants that under money to come in. So they're going to tick that line one point above their biggest competition or vice versa. DraftKings wants over money to come in. So they're going to tick it half a point lower than the FanDuel line. It's like these books just shook hands and they said, yeah, we're kind of in this business together at this point, even though we're competitors, because we want different customers in the market. So you can have the over betters. I'll take the under betters and let's put these lines opposite of the way that they just were. Since I grabbed a 229 and a half and we're seeing this market settle around the 227 and a half, 228, I know I got the right side. We are probably not going to see 229s and a half pop up. That number was too large. It took too much action. FanDuel had it right by leaving up the 227. DraftKings had it wrong by leaving up the 229 and a half a little too long. And that's where I got my action. So that's a little bit of understanding about key numbers in the NBA and weight and some of the way these sports book works in terms of balancing their book and why the line might move different from another and why they might switch like that. Let's go over to the heat magic. I really wanted to take the heat. I really did. Bam back, Tyler Hero back, Jimmy playing. You think against this magic team, they're also getting, I think, Wendell Carter Jr. back. Don't think Fultz is back for this one. Magic have been playing really well, but I feel like the, this Heat team steps up against this like younger competition that they feel like they could bully around a little bit. But that's not the way the market's going. Market's taking the Jazz. I mean, the Magic. Look at this: sixty-three percent of the bets on Miami, but a fifty-fifty money split. Like I'm immediately telling myself and catching myself in some public schmuckery of a mindset. I don't want to be where 63% of the bets are, but only 50% of the money. I don't want to be contrarian to the early line movement and with the volume. That's a bad spot to be. So when I see this where I would prefer the heat, but it smacks in the face of what all my capping indicators and handicapping processes tell me to do, I got no bet. I got no position on this game and I do not intend to. Uh, I advise you not to also unless you have a strong magic vibe then go with the smart money in the market 
I, I just don't get it. Heat team, short travel trip from South Florida to North Florida to Orlando. No, oh, Jacksonville's in North Florida. Where's Where's Orlando? I don't know my Florida geography. We don't need to dwell too much on that game. Let's talk about the Pacers Hornets. Some interesting things happening here in that the under seems to be the sharp side for the game in the total. And now you don't really say that when you're talking about the Indiana Pacers. So if the under is the sharp side of the market and we're in a game where it's Pacers Hornets, I don't want to touch that shit. So I have no bets on it there. If you want to back the over for Pacers Hornets and you listen to this podcast, if you see it below 249 and a half where it is right there now on the screen, then wait. Then keep waiting and see how far lower it goes before you play an over at tip. If you want an over and you see still 249.5 or 250, that's when you take it now because the market has stalled. So you always want to get the best possible number on the side you want. And if we're seeing Pacers Hornets start to trend towards the under and you want to back a Pacers over, then what you want to do is wait on the position. I sent out a tweet maybe last week about the strategy behind timing your bets. This would be one of those situations where I would imagine most people want to play Pacers overs, especially at home. But if the number is going to drop and you could eventually get 247, then you fucking wait for a 247. Okay, let's go to Timberwolves 76ers, a game that I'm really, really excited to watch, a game where I actually think we've gotten some line movement that respects a role player. We're going to talk about that in a second. I'm on the Philadelphia 76ers minus three and a half. I got the line at 3.5. It is now at plus minus three. Hold on. Let me let my dog out. You know, Bronny always makes an appearance during the pod. Okay, so I got this line at three and a half. It's now at three. You don't love to see that, especially when we see 56% of the bets, 74% of the money on the Philadelphia side. So I thought I had a nice, clear way to grab the opening line, which was 3.5. Across all books, it was 3.5 to start. I thought I was grabbing that line, and it was going to go because there seemed to be some volume and money on the 76ers side. And then Nick Batum gets ruled out. And the line drops to three pretty much everywhere. And I actually kind of respect it. I actually kind of think we saw a Pacers situation against the Clippers with Miles Turner the, the other day. And the line didn't move at all when Miles Turner was ruled out. And I take I t- I take line movement and pricing of player injury news to be very telling of the way and the value that these players have to the game. I care less about the result of how it plays out in said game. I don't look at Clippers Pacers from a few days ago. Sorry, I'm getting a little off track, but it's worth it. I don't look at Clippers Pacers from a few days ago and think, well, Clippers smacked them in the mouth. So clearly they do need Miles Turner. I take the zero points of line movement as a bigger indicator that maybe all those Miles Turner's rumors the last few years ain't that big of a deal. And maybe he isn't as long for the Pacers as we think. Uh, Also, boom. Weren't we just talking about the Pacers Hornets at 249 and a half? 
and I said, wait for the under, it literally just moved to 249. That's my point. So you don't get caught in a situation like we're talking about here where I'm playing the Philadelphia 76ers minus 3.5 and I could have had a three. It's okay to identify the spot that you want. It is okay to be contrarian to the market if you feel like your read is strong. That's totally fine. But you still want to get the best number possible. Your read is not strong enough to say, or if you think it is, then you need to course correct the way you're thinking. It's not, I got this. It's, this is the position I like, and I would like to get it at the best number possible to increase my chances of winning the most on this position. Remember, this is, this, we use sports opinions in some ways. But we don't bet into them. We bet primarily based on numbers. And the strategy and the approach is numbers-based. And the timing of what we're doing is understanding how the market is moving and where the numbers currently sit. If you want a sports opinion that it should be a Pacers over, I mean, fuck. They are 19-6 and six to the over in 25 games. 19-6-1 in 26 games with a push. You would have been damn right betting a lot of sports opinions overs, and that was all based on the closing line. So who knows if this line closes at 247, you play an over 248, and it lands at 247, it's going to count as a push even though you lost your bet. Okay, Uh, we are seeing some movement towards the over in the Timberwolves 76ers game. This is also something I hate. I definitely hate this. Uh, I don't want to play an over in a game with the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. And that's different than what I spoke on the pod a few weeks ago when I said that they can put up a lot of points. Their defense is so good. The combination of McDaniels and Ant on the perimeter with Mike Conley, who's a very veteran. He doesn't can't move his feet as well, but he could put himself in the right positions. And then you get Gobert, which, who cleans up everything around the rim. And Carl Anthony Towns, who's legitimately a great rebounder and is playing with effort. And he's doing decent with the positioning. So you look at some of the best defensive lineups in the NBA right now. They're they're Timberwolves based, and they include Carl Anthony Towns. So Embiid's going to have two bigs get thrown at him. We saw this last year in the playoffs when the Nuggets said the Timberwolves were their hardest competition. It's showing its head. It's rearing its ugly head in this or its beautiful face in the early part of this season. I've actually loved watching this Timberwolves team play. I think it's a good spot for the 76ers nonetheless at home with their guys. And Ant, although he's playing, is a little bit banged up and returning from an injury. I almost wonder if the speed of the 76ers in a guy like Maxi is going to be a little bit too much for him to handle. They play with a lot of physicality. And one way to break physicality is speed, right? Miami Dolphins. One way to break that mold, we'll see it this weekend with Cowboys-Dolphins. We'll talk about that on the NFL pod probably Friday this week. Uh, I don't love the over here because the Timberwolves defense is so good. So even though the line's moving over, it's another spot. I don't want any action. If you're listening to this pod and you wanted the over, we did get a question on my Twitter from somebody saying, what do you think about the over 225 or 226 on Minnesota Timberwolves? Based on the numbers that I'm seeing through the market now, if you can get a 225 or 226 at minus 110 odds, then you should take it. If that was your read, you should take it. 
I'm going to avoid it. I do generally like backing 76ers overs because, and they're 17 and nine to the over because they get to the free throw line relentlessly. And that stops the clock as you score points. So Embiid can score, can literally get 20 free throws in any game. It's going to be a little bit harder in a game where they might let the boys play with Gobert and Cat and a lot of big men time in the paint. But again, it, it might just be a quick whistle in that game. Let's talk about the New York Knicks going to Brooklyn. Now, I I might be one of the best NBA betters in the world. I am one of the best NBA betters in the world. But I also might be one of the worst Knicks betters in the world because they smack me in the mouth anytime I, I fade them. I got to just come around and say I, I, I still underrate Jalen Brunson. I do. It's I don't know why. Maybe it's a size thing. Uh, I have found it hard to back the Brunson Randall led Knicks. I have leaned towards fading them as soon as they lost Mitch Robinson, and they weren't going to clean up as many offensive rebound and win ugly games with extra possessions. I have faded them twice since losing Mitch Rob, and I have lost both bets. Now, I think I'm going the other way here. I kind of like the early Knicks minus one. They are back at the East Coast in Barclays Center. So you never love the returning home game. But I do think I am going to play the Knicks small because I think they match up really well against the Knicks. We have to see if Jericho Sims is going to play. I have not bet it yet, but I assume there's going to be some Knicks fans listening to this pod. I know a lot of you people are in New York. And I know a lot of you New Yorkers are Knicks fans. So for good reason, being in the garden is almost as electric as John Morant. I'm going to skip the Nuggets-Raptors game. Uh, We've seen it be a very flat market so far. We are seeing a little bit of reverse line movement between the four and a half and the five. I would lean Nuggets. Might be some market signals, Raptors. Uh, I'm going to skip it just because I have no action on it and not really much thoughts. The Hawks-Rockets, I am in on the Rockets minus 3.5. Let me see if that is available for you at any other books. Yep, uh, DraftKings has a 3.5 right now on Rockets-Hawks. I have been backing the Hawks pretty much every game this season. Not every game, because they really haven't been great against the spread, but I've been pretty good with them. Uh, Hawks against the spread, 6-19. and Okay, I have not been backing the Hawks every game now that I look at that number. I've probably been backing the Hawks when they win. So you can call me maybe the Hawks whisperer, and this is a game to back the Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets, very good at home. Atlanta Hawks, probably going to get Capella back for this game, but the way that the Rockets play is they pull the big out of the paint with Shangun, with Jabari. And then they slash rim runners. So if they're going to pull away Clint Capella, it's almost like a game where Onyeka Okongwu is a much better fit. I think there's going to be a lot of scoring in this game. I think that correlates with backing the favorite. I like backing the home favorite. And I like the way the Rockets play this season at home. A lot of intensity, a lot of heart. They know they're already in the thick of it. The Rockets straight up 13 and 11 this year. Who would have thought near 25 games into the season, or it will be after this game. So you will be able to lock in the Rockets having a winning record after 25 games. Put Ime Udoka, Jamal Mosley, Mark Dagnall, top of the ranks for coach of the year this year. Jesus, Ime. NBA probably doesn't want to give it to him, but he might deserve it. 
Uh, I also like the over 233 and a half, which you could probably find at other books. Also available at DraftKings. So you can get the Rockets minus 3.5 and the over 233 and a half at DraftKings if you're interested in those positions. Uh, Lakers, Bulls, I have no action. I think there's a lot of injury news that is dependent on that game on both sides of the ball. The Clippers versus the Mavericks. This is a one to watch on injury news specifically for Paul George. Now, I grabbed the under 240.5, and I hit it really hard. And then it went down to 238.5, and has since been creeping back up to 239.5. I want to check where the rest of the market is. We have 238.5 still at DraftKings, and that is the lowest number on the board. So it's floating between that 239.5 and 238.5. It is waiting on the Paul George news. So I was actually thinking about this, and I probably should have said it before 25 minutes into the podcast, but I really want to get people who love my content and who follow all my picks and want to tell all my stuff. I want you guys to start understanding why I'm doing some of the things I'm doing. So we talked about timing your bets many times throughout this exact podcast. I released a long-form Twitter strategy post all about timing your bets, understanding market indicators, knowing which way to read the spots, what you're looking for, and all those things. So I'm going to provide you guys all of the tools right now on how to handle this draft. Uh, I mean, this Clippers Mavericks under 240.5 because I sent it out in a blast earlier. And I think a lot of people got in on it who might be listening to this. So now I'm going to give you guys the tools to be able to work off the position as you see fit. I played it for three units. And normally when I go big on a line like that, my goal is to play back the other side. So I saw some really sharp signals that this was a clear underspot. Then a minute or two later, the news came out that Paul George was battling some sort of illness and is questionable to play. We are seeing pretty much all throughout sports right now, a little December bug go around, whether that's Jalen Hurts end up playing for the Eagles, whether that was Zion tonight ends up playing against the Grizzlies. Whether that was, there was another one very recently. I don't know. Everyone seemingly playing with Luca played with illness the other night uh, for the Mavericks. Now we have Paul George questionable with illness. I think the early reaction was a line drop thinking that he wasn't going to play. And I think the tick back up is like, no, he probably will end up playing. So if Paul George ends up being activated, I actually expect this line because it's taken so much under action to start because of the uncertainty to end up moving and going pretty high up. I expect there to be the, the, the number to go above the 240.5 because I don't think they want tons of buyback action on this number. I think they just want to leave the market flat and it's going to settle around 240.5, 241. And it is just going to be where it was the whole time. They're going to put the number back to where a lot of action came in and say, let's just leave it there so we don't take more more juice on this game. And I think the result of that means I need to be watching. And if you bet it, we all need to be watching at Clippers shoot around in about 10 hours from now, 12 hours from now. I'm recording this really late slash early in the morning. Uh, is Paul George at shoot around? That's a huge question. Who is the la- the Clippers beat writer? Let's look it up right now. Clippers beat writer. 
Tom Asarli, Om Young Masuk, Andrew Grief. You should be following these accounts on Twitter. You should make sure that you know when we get the break from one of these guys at shoot around and then underdog eventually also drops that news too, or, or Woj or Shams, whatever you need to be able to react in real time quickly. If Paul George is going to play, the line is going to go up. So what I want to do, having a large position on this ticket is be aware at shoot around if he's in or not. And what's the latest news tomorrow morning when he wakes up? Cause I'm sure he got 14 IVs today. Then if he's going to play, you take an over immediately. You take that 230.5, 238.5 rather. And you start to play back and reduce your exposure. This is a spot where I played it hard because there was really sharp indicators that came in that this was an underspot. Then we learned the underspot was because of Paul George information that came online minutes after I placed my bet. Now we're seeing resistance in real time to that potential injury news, meaning it's going back up, meaning he might end up playing, meaning my first read of it being a really sharp underspot almost needs to be thrown out into the trash, right? We're reevaluating this constantly. So the, the reevaluation process has led us to us now to say, who is present at Clipper shoot around? And if Paul George specifically is there, we back the over right away. I probably would plan to play this at nearly the full exposure of what I bet it at originally and just completely get off it. So if you bet three units to start or 3.3 to win three, you play it back for another 3.3 to win three. You can win one, lose one when you have a positive middle or you can get really lucky and win both, right? And potentially what you're doing because of the changing in the information and the reevaluation of the market, you might eat a big loss of three-tenths of a unit to reposition yourself or to work off of a ticket that was a max exposure three-unit bet because the information is not the same anymore. So we'll go into our games tomorrow potentially with three units on the Clippers under and letting it ride if Paul George isn't going to be around and maybe this would drop to 234. Be fucking awesome. But on the other hand, we could just completely work off of it except the small chance that we biddle it, probably lose three-tenths of a unit, and go into our into our positions tomorrow with Rockets minus three and a half despite the board being at four. Potentially Knicks minus one, and we'll see where that ends up. Uh, having the under 229 and a half in that Cavs jazz and being in a really good position with it at 227 and a half or 228. We could prioritize our good exposure spots and work off of our some of the ones that are changing in real time. Uh, Celtics versus Kings. It is a back-to-back for the Celtics. It is certainly a short trip, a 40-minute bus ride. I don't even know if they're changing hotels. But the, the thank God for Jason Tatum. He's not going to have to fly tonight and swell up his ankle. If Jason Tatum had to fly, there'd be no chance that he was going to play tomorrow, even though he played through it. That's what you typically get on ankles. And also, this gives the the Celtics a perfect reason to rest him, uh, which I think they don't mind doing, given their record and their standing in the East. Uh, so the line is completely flipped from Celtics minus 2.5 to Kings minus 2.5 because Jason Tatum rolled his ankle and is now on a back-to-back. So who the fuck knows if he plays? Uh, the total also sits in major no-man's land because of that. I would lean to think, even though Jason Tatum came back 
after he ran into the locker room, which was after a little scary roll. I would say, thank God he's not flying because that shit would swell up like a balloon and he would be for sure out. I would say we're still going to lean towards him being out because of the back-to-back nature, because they're playing a West Coast team and because they're in really good standing in the East. So, I mean, player points, props. They don't even have any Celtics listed. That's how you know. Like, check the screen right now. If I go to player points, props, I could only bet Fox, Sabonis, Murray, Barnes, and Herter. Keegan Murray over. Nah, I don't like any of it. I don't like any of that. I was a joke. He's just been on fire uh, recently. Okay, that is the full board breakdown. Let's review some of the best bets that I have already submitted. Jazz Cavaliers under 229.5 has been submitted for me. Philadelphia 76ers minus 3.5 has been submitted for me. Houston Rockets minus 3.5 has been submitted for me. And Dallas Mavericks, Los Angeles Clippers, under 240.5 has been submitted for me. I am watching the Hawks Rockets over 233.5. I am watching the Knicks minus one. And I am watching that Mavericks Clippers line for how it plays out. If you want to bet some of these other games... It seems the smart sides of the markets are the Orlando Magic and the over, the Indiana Pacers and the under. I really don't know in Nuggets Raptors. I really don't know in Lakers Bulls. And I really don't know in Celtics Kings. There is power in explaining that you might not know in some of these markets that they have a high degree of uncertainty as we just talked about with the Jason Tatum injury news you don't know which way this is going to go so the whole you can't really value line movement you can't really value betting splits you have to work off of sourcing you have to go to injury reports you have to find beat writers on twitter or wherever they're posting their stuff and what's what is the post-game interview from tatum did he say that he was sore was he asked a specific question about that i literally just watched before i started recording this the 12 minute john morant post-game you could find these things online. Uh, I value watching these post-game interviews in part of my capping process. That was a huge situation last week when I played the Cavaliers versus the Hawks because I watched the Hawks play the Raptors, and then I watched the post-game interviews, and these guys were happy-go-jolly after a dominant win, and they were going on the second night of a back-to-back, and the board was totally priced as if the guys were going to sit. And I was like, that's that's not the way they were acting. And then sure enough, I woke up the next morning and the board had completely flipped and realized that these guys were probably going to play and we played it back the other direction. We locked in a 9% ROI in doing so. So we absolutely love spots to find like that. It is a sad truth that breaking and beating the injury news is one of the most important factors in betting and winning at NBA gambling. That is why you need to be following the beat writers for the team that that you're going to bet on. I follow all of them, and I sometimes use some of their information. There's also some other, you know, general news outlet sources that tweet out those things too. So you could either find an aggregator like Underdog and try and follow them, or you could follow some of the individual beats. Uh, for a day of shoot around stuff, I think an Underdog source is type type is fine. 
uh, for post game and for look ahead and for next day stuff. I really value the individual team reporters. We got to make those guys work for something, uh, guys and gals. So thank you for everyone for tuning in. Let's hope this fucking hot streak continues. Uh, let's hope we get to watch more Demetrius John Morant balling, reminding you guys that he's better than Tyrese Halliburton. He's better than De'Aaron Fox. He's better than Jalen Brunson, than Tyrese Maxey. You want to have a conversation about Ant versus Morant? I'll entertain it. You want to have a discussion about SGA versus Morant? I'll entertain it. You want to have the Booker versus Morant discussion? I will entertain it. But shut the fuck up if you think Tyrese Halliburton with his 26 games that he's balled out this season and what 40 games where he was incredible last season. The dude hasn't even done it for a full NBA season. John Morant has been second in the West twice. What are we, what are we doing? What's, what do we value assists with no turnovers? Am I just stuck in a fucking fantasy basketball crowd or do we value winning? Jeez. Everyone drunk on fucking Halliburton. Like the Lakers just didn't give you guys the blueprint on how to throw physicality and length at the guy and cut off some of his shooters. It's a Halliburton situation is Brock Purdy 2.0. It is NBA's Brock Purdy. The guy has the entire system developed around him. He has ideal counterparts for what he does and a perfect coach for instituting the team philosophy. He makes very few mistakes, and it leads to a higher level of success than we could have expected. And the stats jump off the fucking page. That does not mean he's better than John Morant at basketball. Now, Purdy probably actually deserves the MVP, but that's, that's another discussion. Because that they are by far and away the best team in the, in the NFL. If the Pacers were by far and away the best team in the NBA... I would say give Halliburton an MVP. But people are trying to talk to me about Halliburton winning MVP. Like, we don't have Jokic and Giannis and Embiid and Luka miles ahead of him right now. SGA, way ahead of him. Tatum, way ahead of him. I would even argue LeBron, but I I would, I would understand you guys are drunk on, on Halliburton. Okay, that'll end it. Don't at me with any of this shit. Just watch the games, and, and you'll you'll come to see. Call Twelvesky, not me. Thanks as always. Peace out. You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us, and for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.